Today we're going to be talking about uh, the eternity of God, the fact that God is eternal. Um, thank you. And uh, <clears throat> just a question for you. Do you know how big a trillion is? How big is a trillion? You know that the U.S. Uh, debt is uh, more than a trillion, several trillion. I don't, I don't remember what the exact number is, how many trillion is. Do you know how big a trillion is? So let, let's start with a fun fact to get at how big is a trillion. There have not been one trillion seconds <clears throat> since the time of Jesus. Did you know that? There have not been, would you have guessed that? There have not been one trillion seconds to, since the time of Jesus. Since the birth of Jesus, uh, approximately 63.8 billion seconds have elapsed. 63.8 billion seconds. Do you know what percentage of a trillion that number is? Uh, it's a little over 6%. Okay, so the number of seconds that have elapsed since the time of Christ is a little over 6% of a trillion seconds. So how long is a trillion seconds? A trillion seconds is just under 31,710 years. Would you have guessed that? Can you imagine if we paid off our U.S. debt $1 a second? <laughs> the U.S. would have to last for a very, very long time, assuming we don't spend anymore. Um, one trillion seconds is a very long time to us, but it is nothing to God. It's like a drop in the bucket. It's like a drop in the ocean to God, for God is eternal. Genesis 21, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, a very singular singular thing to do, you know, a very small thing to do, a little plot of ground, a little historical moment. Uh, one person in that historical moment, he plants a tamarisk tree there in that place called Beersheba that none of us have probably been to. And there he called on who? The name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. He called on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. First Timothy 1.17, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at Psalm 90. <clears throat> Look at the first two verses there. This psalm, incidentally, if you see the heading there, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. This is a psalm written by Moses, probably the first psalm ever written, because most of the psalms were written by David and Solomon and those who followed him. This would have been written some four centuries or so before King David. Verse 1, Moses says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You are God. Notice all the ways these verses highlight God's eternity. First of all, the very end of verse 2, from eternity to eternity, or from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A.W. Tozer writes, the mind looks backward in time. The mind looks backward in time till the dim past vanishes. Then it turns and looks into the future till thought and imagination collapse from exhaustion. And God is at both points, unaffected by either. From eternity to eternity, you are God. He also says, verse 2, beginning verse 2, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, what? You are God. 
Before the mountains were born, before you created the heavens and the earth, you are God. God is or was prior to the universe. And then in verse 1, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Was Moses there for every generation? No, he wasn't. But God was, and God has been our refuge for every generation. Generation succeeds generation, but they all dwell in the one God and take the one and only God as their refuge. Different generations, the same God. Moses is writing this, and he's conscious of the people who have gone before him. He's conscious of the fact that the same God whom he prays to and talks with is the same God who created Adam and Eve and with whom Adam and Eve had fellowship. He's conscious of the fact that it's the same God with whom Enoch walked. It's the same God in whom Noah and his family found refuge. It's the same God who was the God of Abraham and then the God of Isaac and then the God of Jacob. It's the same God in whom Joseph found refuge when he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And you find refuge in the very same God that Moses is talking about. Moses looks back to the past to all the generations before him and and marvels at the fact that they found refuge in God. And we look now back to Moses and marvel at the fact that Moses found refuge in the same God that we dwell in, the same God that we commune with, the same God whom we talk with. I want to go back to this passage in Genesis 21 and give you the verse prior to it. Abraham here, the context in Genesis 21 is that Abraham has had a dispute with a local king whose name is Abimelech over a well, uh, you know, a place, uh, a hole in the ground where you get water, <laughs> a well. He's had a dispute with him. And they resolved, they've resolved their dispute. And then we read this here in this uh, passage. After they had made a covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, left and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. So we see here in this passage that Abraham has dealings with two different parties. Okay, He has dealings, first of all, with the local king, Abimelech. He makes a covenant with Abimelech. And the other party with whom he has dealings is with Yahweh God, the everlasting God. Now, I, I do believe that none of you have ever had any contact with Abimelech that none of you have ever had any dealings with Abimelech. Why? Uh, Several centuries separate us, all right? But the other party with whom Abraham treated, I'm pretty sure that many of you have had dealings with that particular party, that you have called upon him, that you have prayed to him, that he's answered your prayers. And why is that? Because he's still alive. He's still alive. He's the eternal God. Along those lines, just as a side note, Scientific question. Do you know why uh, Tyrannosaurus rexes can't clap their hands? It's because they're not alive. They're dead. (laughs) Now, I know that some people say it's because they have short arms uh, that they can't clap their hands. Uh, And that may be a problem, but the, the real stumper for them is the fact that they're dead. Life is very helpful in doing things, and God has it in spades. Um, that's an understatement. He is life, and the life he is never dies. He's eternal. He's alive, and that's why verse 1 is still true. Moses wrote, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation, and we can still say, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. You have been our dwelling place in every generation. It's as much true for us 
as it was for Moses. So what does it mean that God is eternal? What does it mean that God is eternal? I'm going to run through some things here. First of all, it means he is without beginning. God never had a beginning. God never had a beginning. I, uh, when I oversaw the youth group around Christmas time, I would often, we would often talk about Jesus, and Jesus is the Son of God, which means he is God, which means he is eternal. And we would talk about the fact, you know that Jesus existed before he was conceived and born, right? You know that the Son of God existed before he was conceived and born. He's eternal. Christmas marks, we mark Christmas as the time when he became a man, but he didn't come into existence at that point. He just assumed humanity. God is without beginning. He has no birthday. He is without end. He will have no funeral. He will have no funeral. From eternity to eternity, you understand that eternity is like forever. (laughs) No beginning, no end. Number three, he is without succession of moments. He isn't getting older. He isn't getting older. What does that mean? It means that he is, letter A, he created time and he is outside of time. He created time and he is outside of time. Did you realize that God created time? When he created the heavens and the earth, he created time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of what? Not only the beginning of the universe, but also the beginning of time itself. The first seconds, he created the beginning. This is a hard concept to wrap your mind around. I don't think you can. I, I haven't fully wrapped it around my mind around that either. But look at second. Uh, let's skip over that one. Let's go to the next one. Titus one two says basically the same as Second Timothy one nine. In the hope of eternal life, that God who cannot lie promised what before time began. Before time began there was a time before time if you will it's probably an improper way of speaking there was a something before time time has a beginning jude 25 pastor ryan uh, quotes this in his benediction uh, every sunday uh, to the only god our savior be glory majesty power and authority through jesus christ and our lord before all ages not before all the ages after the first age before all ages before the first age even began, and the first age began with the beginning of time. God is not in time. Time is in God. C.S. Lewis pictured it this way. That's a really great illustration there. Uh, Picture a line drawn on a piece of paper. The line is time. The paper is God. Okay? We travel along the timeline. So we leave point A, and then we go to point B in time, and then we go to point C in time, okay? And we're never at one, at more than one point at the same time. Right now, I can't see very well, it's 11.09. A minute ago, we were at 11.08, but we're no longer at that point in time. We're at 11.09. In a minute, we'll be at 11.10, but we're not there yet. You get the point, right? We're, we're, not, we're not in more than one point in time at the same time time but if the paper is god if the whole of time is contained with god if the paper is god at which point on the timeline is god he's at every point he's at every point all time is within him he is at every point simultaneously although simultaneously is a time word that you really can't appropriate and, and apply to god since he's outside of time he's a timeless being 
B, he doesn't experience the passing of time. It's hard to fathom because we are time-bound creatures. Our mode of existence is time. God's mode of existence isn't time. It's different. It's, it's eternity. It's eternity. What's that like? What's it like to be outside of time, to have your mode of existence to be eternity and not time? I don't know. I haven't experienced it. But it doesn't make it that much. It doesn't make it unreal. It doesn't make it not true. You could ask me, what is it like to experience weightlessness, to experience zero gravity? I don't know. I've never experienced it. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, that it isn't possible for some to experience that. Now, another point to understand, though, is that even though God is not time-bound, he understands time and he acts within time. He understands time and he acts within time. Some of this is probably getting a little bit more philosophical than some of you were hoping for. We'll we'll get out of this in just a minute, but it's it's good to think about. Um, The fact that he understands time, of course he understands time. He created it, right? He understands time. And of course, he can act within our time. After all, he created the heavens and the earth, and he operates within those heavens and earth that he created. So he created time. He can certainly operate within time. And God is conscious of the distinction between what is now occurring for us, what has been in the past, and what will be in the future. For instance, in uh, Isaiah 46, God says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am in God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So let me draw out some implications from the truth that God is eternal, that he has always existed and always will exist. First of all, God's other attributes are all the more wonderful and comforting because they are eternal. God's attributes are all the more wonderful and comforting because they're eternal. His power is an eternal power. His grace is eternal. His love is eternal. His wisdom, his justice, his knowledge, his righteousness, they are all eternal. Psalm 105, for Yahweh is good and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. I should have put verse 4 up there. Verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, uh, give thanks to him, bless his name. Why? Because Yahweh is good and his love is eternal. We should praise God because his love is eternal, because his faithfulness endures through all generations. Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Sometimes in order to appreciate who God is, sometimes in order to appreciate who God is, sometimes it's, it's good to ask yourself the question, what if he wasn't that way? What if he wasn't that way? What if God wasn't eternal? Think about that for a moment. What if God wasn't eternal? What if his love wasn't eternal? What if his power wasn't eternal? What if his sovereign control over the heavens and the earth wasn't eternal? What if God came to an end? You know, if any of those things were true, wouldn't our hope be severely diminished? (laughs) You know, we might have hope for a little while of uh, good times in heaven, so to speak. 
But if God's not eternal, of course, those are absurd questions because God is eternal and all that he is will remain the same for eternity. So let's appreciate that. Let's appreciate that. A.W. Tozer also wrote about God's eternity. He said, The concept of everlastingness is necessary to give meaning to any Christian doctrine. Indeed, I know of no tenet of the Christian creed that could retain its significance if the idea of eternity were extracted, extracted from it. In other words, the Christian faith would mean very little if God were not eternal. If God were not eternal. Another implication or another reality is number two, God has made us everlasting. God has made us everlasting. Aside from God, everything had a beginning, right? God created everything else, the heavens and the earth, the angels, and us. Um, but not everything will have an end because God has chosen to sustain some things for eternity. His kingdom, for instance. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Something else that he has created to be everlasting is human beings. God is eternal in himself. Eternal is who God is. We are everlasting because God has chosen to sustain us for eternity. God is immortal by nature. We are immortal by the sustaining power of God. So here's the deal. You're going to live forever. You're going to live forever. You will never cease to exist. You will never cease to exist. People have a lot of funny thoughts about what happens when a person dies. And by funny, I mean incorrect. Uh, one of those incorrect thoughts is that when a person dies, that's it. They cease to exist. There's no consciousness. that They don't exist anymore. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. For all human beings, there's the earthly life, which you and I are all in right now. And then there's the next life, which is everlasting. It's eternity. Death is not the end. Death is the beginning of eternity for every human being. And that brings us then to another question. If you're going to live forever, if you're not going to cease to exist, if you're going to live forever, what is the character of that eternal life? And the Bible also has a clear answer for that. And that brings us to number three. That which is to come or the everlasting life that is to come for every person is either going to be a miserable eternity or a happy or joyful eternity. You're going to live forever. You're going to be everlastingly miserable or you're going to be everlastingly happy, and that will not change throughout eternity. So first we need to talk about what happened, you know, how you gain that. We need to talk about the everlasting Misery that some people will inherit. Um, first of all, um, God's enemies go into everlasting punishment. God's enemies go into everlasting punishment. You remember the parable about the sheep and the goats that Jesus told in Matthew 25? Uh, how uh, he basically uh, divided all of humanity the, the, before the throne. All of humanity will be divided into on those on his right and those on his left. Those on his right are the sheep. Those on his left are the goats. Um, basically, the the wicked and the the, the righteous. And he says uh, in in Matthew twenty five forty one. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The punishment and misery of those who don't know Christ, who go into an everlasting torment in hell, is described in Revelation 14. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. Now, this is talking about the mark of the beast. Um, the mark, <laughs> this is talking, so in Revelation 14, it talks about those who have the mark of the beast. I think this is a reference to all those. I don't, I think this is a reference to all those who don't know Christ, who don't receive the mark of Christ, if you will. Now, you may take issue with me on Revelation 14, and if you do, that's fine. But the description of hell there is very real for the, for all those who don't know Christ. Um, the fact that it is an eternal suffering. A Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson wrote, God lives forever, and as long as God lives, he will be punishing the damned. God lives forever, and he will be punishing the damned as long as he lives. Another writer observes, eternity makes the punishment more dreadful than his power. His power makes it sharp, but his eternity renders it perpetual. An old illustration to try and get people to understand a little bit of what eternity, of how long eternity is like, is to picture the world, picture the earth, okay, our planet, and picture it as a great ball of sand, okay? Just imagine that it was just one big mass of sand. That's all it was made up of, all right? And then picture a little bird, coming to this big ball of sand and it with its uh mouth bill whatever it scoops up a uh it scoops up one grain of sand and it takes that grain of sand away and then imagine that a thousand years later that bird comes back and takes another grain of sand and takes it away flies it away dumps it somewhere else and then a thousand years later and we're going to keep doing this until we get rid of the whole... No. But that, imagine that. Every thousand years, a bird comes and takes away one grain of sand from this sand uh, pile that is as big as our planet. Okay? How many years would it take for that sand to disappear? I have no idea. I didn't do the math on that. Is that how long eternity is? Nope. How can you compare the finite to the infinite? It's like a blip on the screen. You know, it's like a drop. It's like a drop in the ocean. And yet, if, if someone in hell had this notion that their eternity was going to come to an end, even after that time, even after that amount of time for which it would take the bird one millennium per grain of sand to remove that dirt, he might have the slightest hope that he last he's going to be free from that misery. But the reality is, there's the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. God's enemies go to everlasting torment, to eternal misery. But God's children go to everlasting joy and to everlasting happiness. Why is there even this option? It's because of God's incredible love 
for humanity. It's because of God's incredible love for you that he has provided this option. We have sinned and rebelled against God. And we deserve the first option. But God loves us so much that he gave us his son. He gave you his son to die on the cross for your sins so that you have this option. God's children go to everlasting joy, to everlasting, to eternal um, happiness. Back to the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus says about those on his right, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You don't have to go into the uh, place of eternal suffering with the devil and his angels. By the way, the devil and his angels aren't masters of hell. They're suffering in hell. No matter what you've heard about the devil overseeing hell, that's not true. (laughs) He's its first victim. It's there to punish him. Eventually, he will go into the lake of fire. Jesus concludes the parable with this summary. And they, the unrighteous, will go away into eternal punishment. The word eternal makes it strong. But the righteous into eternal life. And that makes that equally strong. Even as God will eternally punish the wicked, so he will also eternally sustain and bless and nourish the righteous. And he is not stingy. Psalm 1611. And they, uh, sorry, okay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. A picture of heaven. Second Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles in this world, whatever your troubles are, um, Paul calls them light and momentary. Why? Because they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There is an eternal glory that awaits those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So there are some implications. Let me just uh, make some applications. Number one, choose your eternity. Choose your eternity. You're on the edge of either a happy eternity of unmitigated joy and peace and satisfaction, or you're on the edge of a miserable eternity, and miserable is an understatement, a miserable, miserable eternity of unrelieved torment and agony. And the decision as to which is yours is up to you. The decision is up to you. The Bible is very clear that we all deserve hell because of our sins. But it's also very clear that Jesus, the Son of God, came and died for your sins so that you might be forgiven your sins, freed from your sins, and reconciled to God, adopted into his family as his child. The price has been paid The provision has been made, but the choice is up to you. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and turn and follow him? John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I realize that I'm talking in here to many of you who have already made this choice. Who have also received, who have already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received Him into your life. I also realize that there are probably people in here who have not made that choice, who have not made that decision. I'm most concerned for people who think they've made that choice and they haven't, or who, no, let me rephrase that. For people who have been coming and assume that just by coming to church, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Living in a garage doesn't make me a car. Coming to church doesn't make you automatically make you a Christian. You need to make that, you need to take that step of putting your faith in Jesus Christ, of welcoming him into your life. God has provided a way out of your sins through Christ. He has provided a way for you to no longer be his enemy, but to be his child, believing on Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's his motivation, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word perish there, we understand from the scriptures, the perish doesn't mean cease to exist. The perish means an everlasting dying, an everlasting agony, an everlasting suffering. But God has provided a way out of that through Christ if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If I could paraphrase John Wesley, you are on the brink of either a happy or miserable eternity, and your creator God bids you to stretch out your hand to one or the other. In other words, the choice is yours. And by the way, refusing to choose is to make a choice, the choice for everlasting suffering and misery because of sin because of your sins eternal misery is every person's default position not believing on the lord jesus is everyone's default position by god's grace each person must choose to believe on the lord jesus christ a second application is this is to study and think about god's eternity Study and think about God's eternity. When you come across those scriptures that talk about God eternal, meditate on the eternity of God. Think about the fact that God is everlasting. In Psalm 50, uh, I don't remember what verse, uh, Psalm 50, God accuses people of thinking, of thinking that he was just like them <laughs> um, and acting thusly. And that is so far from the truth. And when you meditate, for instance, and think about the fact that God is eternal, you come to realize how great and awesome and how far above, um, far above you God is. Uh, there are many benefits to doing this. Many benefits to doing this. Let me touch on the first one, and we're probably going to end it here. Um, letter A, meditating on the eternity of God will lead you to adoration and praise. Meditating on the eternity of God will lead you to adoration and praise. Um, we read Revelation 4, 8 earlier. Here are these four mighty living creatures all worshiping and praising God constantly. And God's etern- eternity is one of the truth, one of the truths that is compelling their worship. Why are they praising God? They're praising him for his holiness. They're also praising him because he is eternal. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to worship God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God's holiness prompts them to worship. But what else? Who was and is and is to come. God's eternality, his eternity, his everlastingness also prompts them to worship. And if it prompts the four living creatures to Worship. I'm suggesting that as you meditate and think about the eternity of God, it's going to prompt you to worship too. It's going to prompt you to adore Him and praise Him and worship Him. How awesome is this God that we serve? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was before the beginning. He always was. He is now and He always will be. He is outside of time and He sees it all equally vividly. 
We didn't read Psalm 90 verse 4. Verse 4 says, For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by. Like a few hours of the night. Uh, the Apostle Peter expanded on this a little bit in Second Peter 3.8. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. What an awesome God we serve. What an awesome God we worship. I had a feeling that I had prepared way too much in this sermon. Um, so we are going to stop at that point.